0: The words from Louis Armstrong's song. You gotta say it again. <laughs> I gotta say it again. <laughs> yeah, it was such a. Let me make sure that. I can't see from the angle. Yeah. With more, with more passion. <laughs> I see his trees green. <laughs> <laughs> Red roses too. I see them bloom. For me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright blessed day and the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Uh, Again, words from uh, Louis Armstrong's song. What a wonderful world. The problem is this. It is, I believe it is, a wonderful world. God created it. What God creates is wonderful. So it is a wonderful world. Yet, it's a world, as we have seen this week, that is touched by terrible, terrible evil and suffering. You know, we hear of people killed in disasters, people killed in shootings. But, you know, we just get the headlines. The news really doesn't go into... In depth detail because the following week something else is going to make the headline news. You know, what's the lasting effect on the families? Uh, We don't hear much about their suffering. Uh, And, you know, just thinking about uh, there were 25 people killed in the flooding, the landslides and mudslides in West Virginia, over a thousand homes destroyed. You think of earlier in June, there was the severe flooding in Texas. Flooding in Louisiana claimed the life of a seven-year-old child and flooded more than a thousand homes. Back in January, we forgot about it now, but there was a blizzard out in the Mid-Atlantic that killed 35 people. And six of those people were here in North Carolina that got killed as a result of that blizzard. And of course, as we've already mentioned, we can't forget the shootings this week, the bombing in Baghdad, or even the Orlando nightclub shooting. People have died from the Zika virus, and I could go on. The world is acquainted with evil and suffering. A good friend dies, hopes disappointed Uh, the multiplying pains of age, although that's not anything that I really know about. Uh, Faith in God faltering. We know about suffering. And this kind of brings us into some level of sympathy with Job. Why do this, God? We ask, why this level of suffering? And we we ask it of ourselves. Why do I have aches and pains when I get up in the morning? We ask of the suffering of those we know. And we ask it of the suffering of others all around us. Why? The world asks why. But you know, often our why is not the inquisitive why of a little child that just says, when you tell them you can't do it right now, and they're like, why? Mm -hmm. You know, that's an innocent, inquisitive why. Ours, many times, is more of a why, angry why, that's more of an argument Mm -hmm. and a protest than just innocently asking why. And the why that we ask so many times assumes that there is no good answer. It assumes that there's no reason for the suffering, even when we're asking it from God. And I think that was probably the attitude that Job was coming with when he was asking the questions to God. And so if you go ahead and find Job, I'll go through just a real quick review In the first two chapters of Job, you find God basically bragging about Job. Uh, To Satan, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. You know, God is saying, Have you considered how he fears me above all things? You see, God recognized that Satan Was slandering him when Satan suggested that Job only loved God because God had blessed him. And so God basically called Satan's bluff and says, All right, take his things. Watch how Job continues to fear me. And Job did accept it all at first. But then in chapter 3, Job begins to lament as his so-called friends come to comfort him, all the way from chapters 4 to chapters 37, Job, I would say, gets, gets exasperated at his friend's insistence that he must have done some sin to bring about the suffering. And they're saying, you're lying to us because you won't admit what your sin is. You must have done something really, really bad to have brought this upon yourself. And Job kept saying, no, no. You see, their theology told them there was only one explanation for suffering, period. And yet Job had enough understanding of who God was to know this wasn't the case. And so much of the time, Job didn't even speak to his friends. He spoke to God. And he asked, God, what are you doing? But it kind of turned into a demand. He demanded to know. And so in the story of Job, we see on a really grand scale, almost in uh, high definition, a particular individual's life, a particular time in his life. And it really reflects the story of Adam and Eve mistrusting God. It reflects the great sin of all of us. It reflects what it means to be confronted and convicted by sin, and then to confess it and repent it, to trust God again. And I just pray that this will help us in our own growth of knowing who God is. You know, chapter after chapter uh, in in verses or chapters four through thirty seven, Job's friends have made statements, and Job has responded all the way up to chapter thirty seven. And now, in chapter 38, God shows up and the Lord speaks. Uh, Alehu has just ended chapter 37, but with this statement saying, the Almighty, we cannot reach Him. And while the words were probably still echoing in Job's ears, all of a sudden we read, the Lord answered Job. So we're in chapter 38. Thus, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. And of course, just a little side comment. Whenever there's an appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament, you know, it's always accompanied by a physical manifestation. In this case, a whirlwind. But we read on. He said, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? get ready to answer me like a man when i question you you will inform me where were you when i established the earth tell me if you have understanding who fixed its dimensions certainly you know who stretched a measuring line across it what supports its foundations or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of god shouted for joy who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb When I made the clouds its garments and thick darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place. When I declared, you may come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn in its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like the folds of a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea, or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me, if you know all this, where is the road that leads to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives so you can lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know? You were already born. You have lived so long. Have you entered the place where the snow is stored? Or have you seen the storehouses of hell, which I hold in reserve for times of trouble for the day of warfare and battle? What road leads to the place where light is dispersed? Where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning to bring rain on an uninhabited land on a desert with no human life to satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout? Does the rain have a father? Who fathered the the dops of dew? Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven when water became as hard as stone and the surface of the watery depths is frozen? Can you fasten the chains of the Pleiades, or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Did they report to you saying, here we are? Who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water jars of heaven when dust hardens like cast metal and the clods of dirt stick together? Can you hunt prey for a lioness? Or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs? Who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Wow, how do you think that Job felt after God hammered him with all these questions? And it really doesn't stop here. God keeps going. Mm -hmm. Chapter 49. This is chapter 48. chapter uh, chapter after chapter keeps going chapter 39 is like this chapter 40 is like this chapter 41 is like this as well God interrogates Job if you've seen some of those old police movies where they're interrogating someone and they take the spotlight and just kind of swing it down right in the person's face I kind of get a sense that this is what God was doing to Job in a sense you know Job is basically experiencing a uh, a rhetoric type of education. A Socratic education in in a sense. After question, after question, after question. Rolls into Job's ears and minds and heart. With the thunderous power of God himself. And Job learns that he has misjudged God and himself. Job had forgotten that God is greater than Job. You can see that in the very questions that God is asking Job. In fact, God is so much greater a being, uh, and yet this was not apparently clear to Job there at the very beginning. And so throughout these chapters, God is simply opening Job's eyes, displaying Job's utter powerlessness you know as we've already read it there back in 38 verse 2 job or god described job as a person who obscured god's counsel and spoke with ignorant words well, that's a very comforting uh, mm-hmm. statement isn't it and then in verse 18 god says have you comprehended the extent of the earth well no job had not comprehended the extent of the earth Or can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? No, Job had no power to do that. Or uh, in chapter 39, God goes through a kind of zoology list, talking about the animals, asking Job, would the wild ox be willing to obey you? Uh, No. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding? understanding and spread its wings. Does the eagle soar at your command? Uh no. Uh, then in chapters 40 and 41, God talks about two powerful uh, creations, the Behemoth and the Leviathan. And he says, Can you capture them? Uh no. So Job's feebleness, his powerlessness is displayed throughout but nowhere more I think than in chapter 40 verse 14 where God says okay if you can curse the wicked where they stand if you can bring every proud man low then I will admit that you can save yourself. So when Job could act with the same power and prerogative as God then God would admit that Job could save himself. But of course Job could not do that. Any thought of self-help, self-salvation was completely ridiculous and was really worthy of being ridiculed and mocked as God, I think, did here for the purpose of educating Job. See, by revealing himself... God revealed the highest knowledge that Job lacked—a knowledge of a, the knowledge about God. You see, all these things had been questioned by Job, even sinfully doubted by Job, and so now God reveals Himself. He reveals some of the mystery that, some of the gaps that Joseph that Job had in his theology. And one of the things I think about is God revealing Himself to Job was an act of mercy. You think about it. How kind of God to tell us the truth about Himself instead of leaving us in the dark. And you realize God did not have to do that. You know, God goes on um, and, and continues. You know, He asks Job, he says, do you have an arm like God's? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Can you adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and clothe yourself with honor and glory? No. And so through this questioning, God was actually having mercy on Job. In his mercy, God chooses to reveal himself. Think about this. God took this initiative even while Job was still sinfully questioning God. God's revelation did not take place after Job had repented. After Job had become respectable again and had become an upright and decent member of society. No. No. God's mercy to Job took place while Job was still on that burning, smoldering trash heap. While Job was still disgusting to people. While everyone had still forsaken Job. And when Job had not yet repented of his sins, God had mercy on Job. Do you see how different God is from us? How often do we wait to act in love towards someone until after they have acted in love toward us? How often do we wait and say, okay, after he has repented from this sin that I think I see in his life, then I will love him. How rarely do we, like God, Take the loving and merciful initiative towards someone even when they are in the very act of opposing or slandering us. That's what God did here with Job. That's the challenge that we have to do as we're living out our lives in this day and time in the situation that we face in the world now. We need to do it because our God is a merciful God. You know, authority in this world is in part meant to point us to God. You think about it God is the great authority, and our submission to authority and even our use of authority is meant to remind us of God, to reflect God, to celebrate God, to honor and glorify Him so just kind of a think about it a little asterisk here how about authority in your life how do you use it do you use it in such a way to reflect God to honor and glorify Him do you realize that you're involved With reflecting God when you are in a position of authority or when you are even in a submissive state of authority. Authority can be abused, and when it's abused, it's a terrible, horrible sin. But when it's wonderfully used, it can be very fruitful to people's good and to God's glory. We need to keep this in mind in our families at our workplace our interactions in in public in general we need to be the kind of people who are trustworthy with a faithful sense of authority and then I'm thinking about God's kindness how many of you woke up this morning and started listing off the ways that God is kind to you just this morning I mean we're here fellowshipping together because we have a merciful God. We're here because, let's face it, we are sinners and we all know that we have done wrong by God. We, by our lives, have offended Him. We are deserving His wrath and His anger against us and yet He has given us love instead. And we fellowship together and celebrate that love. We celebrate the mercy that He's extended us through Jesus Christ. And you see, Job's sin was he was missing all of this insight that we have. He was missing out the understanding of God's authority in the world. He was missing out God's kindness. And that was job's sin yeah in chapter 40 verses 1 through 5 job says or the lord uh, says to job will the one who contends with the almighty correct him let him who argues with god give an answer then job answered the lord i am so insignificant how can i answer you I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not reply. Twice. But now I can add nothing. So Job here confesses his unworthiness. The inappropriate thinking and acting uh, that he's had. And after God continues to make the same point, two more chapters, Job is even more explicit a second time in his confession. This time in chapter 42. It says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, Who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? And Job says, Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So here, Job's more specific than merely saying something about his own unworthiness, which was kind of vague. Here he confesses that God can do all things and that no plan of God's can be changed, can be thwarted. Job cannot do all things. Job's plans can be thwarted as God has been so fully demonstrating. And then Job confesses his own weakness, his own lack of omniscience when he says, surely I spoke about things I did not understand things too wonderful for me now again another kind of side note is that Job is not confessing the sin that for the last 35 chapters his friends have been accusing him of Job is not confessing some ethical lapse in his life that brought about suffering no that was a misunderstanding on the friend's fault Job is confessing a sin of not knowing God and of speaking wrongly about God. You know, Job was guilty of drawing the wrong conclusions based on insufficient evidence. And even that was an offense to God. Chapter 42. Verses 4 through 6, as we look at Job's repentance. You said, Listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I heard rumors about you, Job says, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and I repent in dust and ashes. It's interesting that when the that in the Bible, when people have close encounters with God, they don't seem to go into uh, a raucous ecstasy that some people today, I fear, associate with nearness in God. Things actually get quieter and more serious and more somber a lot. It may not be quite as fun initially but it might be more like what it's going to be like to truly be in the presence of God Job repents he declares in verse 5 that he knows God better now God's education of Job in these last several chapters have worked Job's understanding has grown Job now saw the Lord in the sense that he believes he believed the words spoken to him and of course, God's clearest communication to us is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now His written word. Anyway, the Job's conclusion to this encounter was to repent. Closer knowledge has brought Job to fear God more and trust God more. And I think that's the way that it should be. Closer knowledge of God brings us to fear God more and to trust Him more. True understanding of our situation before God leads not merely to more knowledge, but it leads to changed lives. It leads to repentance. You know, if you want to repent of something, something that's I guess been stubborn in the way that it seems to stick to you learn more about God spend time learning about God and what he is like rather than trying to master some technique that will change your behavior or alter your behavior spend time with God and see what that will do with your life the fruits of True repentance are always an increased fear of the Lord and an increased trust in Him. And that leads to changed lives. Let's talk about Job's trust now. We've looked at his sin. We've looked at his repentance. Now let's look at his trust. Chapter 42 Verses 7 through 9. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer. And not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Na- the Namathite went and did as the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now, I'll admit that this confused me just a little bit. as the first time I ever read it. Because it seems like in chapters 1 and 2, God says nice things about Job, and Job says nice things about God. And then in chapters 3 to 37, Job says bad things about God. In chapters 38 to 41, God says bad things about Job. And now in chapter 42, Job repents, and God says to Job's friends that it's not they who, uh, uh, who have spoken about God what is right, but Job that has. And I went, what? But the thing—the thing here is that even when Job had spoken in anger, even when he had mis-spoken uh, about God, he was at least in the ballpark. He—he he may have been pitching in the wrong direction, but he knew something of what God was like. He knew that God was greater than his own understanding. That's why he keeps He kept talking to God, kept asking. Uh, Many of his assumptions about God were wrong, but many of them were right. And Job's three friends, I mean, they weren't even in the ballpark. They had just one explanation for suffering. Suffering happens because you sin, period. God is in this box, and we can't let him out of this box. I mean, well, I mean, suffering does can happen because we sin, that is certainly true. But for Job's friend, this was their only explanation. And what this led to, as they compared themselves to Job, they weren't suffering like Job. Well, they thought of themselves as being better than Job. They ended up being self-righteous. And like I said, they had a very restricted view of what god was like but this is not what scripture says so the big thing here is that job's friends had misrepresented god they had made god seem less than he is left uncorrected this type of view distorts the gospel this type of thinking we could never believe in jesus and that he suffered innocently. Now if you read the book of Job casually. You might think that Job's friends are just spouting off some pretty okay or decent theology. But no. I would argue that it's corrupt. Even damnable theology. Theology that would subvert the gospel. And you see, Job had not spoken any words that would subvert the gospel. He at least had a sense of the greatness of God. And so, compared to his friends, Job was, in a sense, always trusting God. Job asserted he didn't know why God was doing what he was doing. But his friends were saying they did know about God and what he was doing. And they were wrong. And they were wrong to speak that way. Hmm. Look at If you look at verse 42.8, I think it's quite ironic that Job's friends who had presumed their own innocence, their own self-righteousness, now needed Job to pray for them, to intercede for them. God was making it so clear to them that in their presumption, they had sinned. I guess I'm just thinking, do you ever see yourself in the position of Job's friends? Have you ever made false presumptions or even false accusations about other friends? I mean, I can think of how I've been quite confident of my own righteousness only to have God reveal truth in in my life and come to the realization that I was the one sinning And (laughs) (laughs) and I think we've all probably depended upon our own righteousness but God points us to the one the only one who has spoken truth about God the intercessor the mediator that we need that God has given to us in Christ only the sacrifice that is not needed you know there was a sacrifice here that was needed that God commanded the Job's three friends to offer up but the sacrifice that is needed now is not the blood of bulls and goats but the blood of Jesus Christ The spotless Lamb of God. So, the more I think about this, the more I think that God, what God is teaching us through the book of Job, what God was teaching Job and us, is to trust God not based on a why question, but based on who. Trust is based not on our understanding of of specific reasons why things happen. But trust is based on the knowledge of who God is and His character. You know, we're basically at the end of the book of Job. And you'll notice that God never does reveal to Job the why we see in chapters 1 and 2 kind of the why but God never reveals it to Job we can have a sense of satisfaction as we read through the book but Job doesn't get that same level of satisfaction Job's satisfaction could never come from the the why question being answered Job's satisfaction came from somewhere else from knowing the who who you know, as God reminded Job again and again of who God was, of God being so much more powerful, more knowledgeable, more good, Job was enabled to trust God with his sufferings because of who God is. God is trustworthy in all his purposes, even if those purposes are not apparent to Job. Or to us. In our limited station in life. So. Do you see. Why trusting in God. As we're called to do. Is not based on understanding the why. Of everything. But it's based on being able to understand. Who God is. That's what the book of job is teaching us and this is practical it's down to earth it's it's you ask the questions i mean how do you deal with unsaved family members who die how do you live and continue to rejoice and celebrate god how do we do that when tragedies happen in our in lives of the people that we know or in the lives around the world and millions of people that we don't know. It's not because we we can find out the answer why. It's because we know who God is and we know enough of what He is like because of what He has done for us on the cross that we can trust Him. We can trust Him. And I will give my life over to him regardless of all the whys that keep piling up and piling up. I don't trust him because of what I don't know. I trust him because I know who he is. Finally, just one last part, and that's Job's restoration. Restoration. It says after Job had prayed for his friends the the Lord restored his prosperity and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers and sisters and former acquaintances came to his house and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a a, a Kesatov and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life, more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He he named his first daughter Jemima, his second Keziah, and his third uh, Karen Hapoch. No women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land. And their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. Job lived a hundred and forty years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died, old and full of days. God restored Job's fortunes. God wants his goodness to be evident to his creation. He wants to display his goodness. Yet, he allows trials for his children's good. But God delights to bless his children. That is a part of his character. So let's remember that Job endured. James wrote about this in James 5.11. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So I don't know how many times you might have read through the book of Job. But is that what you conclude when you read through the book of Job? The Lord is compassionate and merciful? If you understand correctly i think we this is what we conclude and then we ask the question have you endured have i endured are you enduring right now job's suffering his endurance you know what it points us to someone who endured suffering through no fault of his own someone who suffered for our sin Like Job, Jesus' suffering was not because of his sins. But unlike Job, Jesus was suffering because of our sins. Truly innocent suffering by one who perfectly trusted God. Suffering in our place. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he bore our sicknesses, he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds." So, if we're walking through suffering, we have someone walking with us. We have someone who is bearing our burdens with us. And we can stand strong in that. Let's pray. Lord, you are full of compassion and mercy. Father, I think it's one of the strangest things about sin that you, the most wonderful being of all, could ever be thought ill by us. Father, forgive us for our foolishness. In your patience, Lord, teach us the truth even as you taught Job. Help us to know more of Your might and Your power and Your knowledge and your, your purposes. Help us to know more of Your goodness and mercy. Help us to endure during suffering. Help us to stand by others so that we can help them endure suffering. Father, I pray that you would pull the scales off of our hearts and cause us to know you better. Cause us to know you better so we can love you more and love others more. Equip us to endure so we can walk and help others endure. We give you thanks. Amen. Look on page 31 of your slide sheet.